Tim Kono's death has been ruled a homicide, and apparently one of you jerk-offs did it. I can't stop thinking about this. Neither can I. We should do our own true crime podcast. We're going to go down there and look around for clues. Do you want to come? Do I want to break into a dead guy's apartment and go through all his shit? Sounds like an afternoon. Oh, you had me a jerk off! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Court Killers, the show about watching the stuff you love when you want, where you want, however you want. I'm Tom Merritt. Hey, I'm Brian Brushwood. What was that that we just saw, Bryce? <laughs> so that was a trailer for the upcoming Hulu series, Only Murders in in the Building. Um, <laughs> it stars Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez as they investigate a murder that took place in their apartment building and record a true, true crime podcast as they do this. That's so, coming to Hulu August 31st. Full disclosure, I mean, I, I, I think it's fair to say that- We make every, podcasts, so I, we are- I am a fan of Martin Short. I am uh, a fan of Steve Martin. I'm a fan I am of, a fan of Selena Gomez. I'm a fan of all those things. I think this was targeted towards us. Yeah, like, exactly. Literally exactly. us. Like, I thought I would like it, what I did not expect is to watch the trailer and love it mm -hmm. because I like, even like all Selena of those Gomez. things and- uh, I don't want to say skewering, but skewering cereal at the same time is <laughs> chef's kiss. <laughs> mm, so good. Yeah. So good. That's the end of uh, August. So to balance us out, uh, we brought another podcaster on the show, Chris oh, Panzini from White Cat Entertainment. Uh, how's it going, Chris? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, sadly, not a true crime podcaster, but I can definitely uh, relate to everything in that trailer. I mean, it, it would be great <laughs> if like in the next hour and a half or so you could go out and commit a true crime and then we could be a true crime podcast and make more money, I guess. You know, the, it, it's, the hour's not up, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you're going to murder us with words. <laughs> yes, one of us is the Steve Martin, one of us is the Martin Short, I guess one of us is Selena Gomez. Uh, I'm I, the I body! Yeah. You'll know. I, I got to say, whenever I see Steve Martin in something, I don't even care what it is. I'm like, I'm on board. I know, right? I, I, stop Stop the trailer. It doesn't matter. Stop, stop. Yeah, I, take my money. I'm, I'm good. All right. Well, let's uh, get right into it, folks, with our primary target. We got good news and bad news for Disney. The good news for Disney, Jungle Cruise took in $61.8 million worldwide and more than $30 million from Disney Plus for a total of $91.8 million plus. They was above the expectations domestically, a little short internationally. Uh, put it 31% ahead of Cruella, the well behind Black Widow, but everybody expected it to be behind Black Widow. Uh, and The Verge notes that Black Widow made about 27% of its opening weekend on Disney Plus while Jungle Cruise at about 33% coming from streaming. Also notable, this was the last movie that Disney had said would come to theaters and streaming on the same day. We'll, we'll see what they do now. They might announce more, they might not. That is the good news. Now to the bad news. Scarlett Johansson's attorneys filed a lawsuit Thursday alleging Disney breached her contract when they put Black Widow on streaming the same day as theatrical. So maybe they won't put anything out same day on streaming and theatrical. The suit alleges the move depressed ticket sales. And most of Johansson's compensation was based on theatrical revenue. She gets some from streaming, but not as much. Wall Street Journal sources say Johansson believes Disney's day and date decision may have resulted in $50 million in lost bonuses. Disney said in a statement that Johansson earned $20 million to appear in Black Widow. 
Disney also said the lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Ouch. Knives out, Disney. Friday, CAA, the talent agency that manages Johansson, accused Disney of including her salary in its press statement in, quote, an attempt to weaponize her success as an artist and businesswoman and added, they have shamelessly and falsely accused Ms. Johansson of being insensitive to the global COVID pandemic in an attempt to make her appear to be someone they and I know she isn't. As Black Widow once said to Captain America, are we still friends? This is usually the part I jump in with a thought or an opinion, but I'm really interested to hear from everybody else who is not me first. Uh, Chris, uh, do, do you have immediate first impressions on this? Absolutely. I have about a thousand of them, and uh, they're all focused on one specific thing. Um, if you're Disney and you're already in a hole, stop digging. My God. I mean, this could have been avoided uh, so easily. They could have figured out a different compensation behind the scenes. Clearly, there was going to be a giant hit, not only to Scarlett Johansson, but to um, any other uh, actor with a participation deal when um, movies are going to go simultaneously to streaming and also to uh, theatrical. Um, you know, HBO Max, I'm sure, is having the same exact discussions, but not on Twitter. So that will definitely make it a little easier. It was a weird thing where, you know, for all the good decisions Disney made and all the savvy ones, this was like like um, uh, such one that they could have avoided so easily that they escalated in the wrong direction so quickly. Uh, it, it's really baffling how poorly that they they handled this. Even Kevin uh, Feige, who was a uh, um, head of Marvel, said it's like he was like embarrassed and like saddened by how Disney was handling this because now it's just going to get worse. Uh, and it could have been uh, solved not only with Scarlett Johansson, but for all the actors with theatrical compensation deals down the line as things move more to streaming. So it was an opportunity missed. I mean, look at Warner and what they did where they put everything on HBO Max and everyone was upset at them, like publicly upset. Yes. Somehow they did. I don't know what they did, but they did something that kept themselves from getting sued. I assume they went to everybody and said, let's figure this out. Let's alter the contracts. Let's let's make you happy and make you whole. Uh, right. I assume that Disney I, I, I can't believe Disney wouldn't have tried to do that. Uh, what I'm guessing happened is. They didn't either try hard enough or Scarlett played hardball. Whoever's fault it was, we don't know. Uh, they didn't come to an agreement with Scarlett Johansson. And right. when it comes to that, maybe maybe Scarlett's overreaching. Maybe she's playing too much hardball. The answer to that is not to accuse her of ignoring COVID in your press I statement. Know, I, mean, I, I know. I know. That was all like the most sympathy at that yeah. point. Like, there was like the most tone deaf disappointing that you, you want done. everybody yeah. to die. Wow, we're so yeah, upset yeah. about that. Wow, I, I guess these millions of dollars that you were due are more important than everyone's lives worldwide. But we're going to keep those millions instead and just accuse you of being insensitive. Worthy of consideration is the fact that um, uh, uh, Black Widow, as a character, uh, uh, I have a teenage daughter who very vocally is annoyed that Black Widow had not gotten a movie earlier. Uh, and uh, uh, 
I am part of the businessman in me understands like, well, in the Marvel hierarchy, you go, you know, when you don't know that the MCU is going to be a hit, what you do is you, you go with what you think will be the safest bets that you can make at the time or whatever. But having said that, like, uh, I think it was six months ago, we uh, covered one article that talked about how Black Widow was one of the top uh, franchises, one of the, the most valued brand names in all of uh, cinematic uh, uh, universes. Uh, uh, with it being that and it being, you know, her first solo vehicle after all of these years, and then to, 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 to uh, yeah, what did it come in at, Bryce? Yeah, number 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 ten, ten out of the 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 top entertainment franchises. Ooh, they really shouldn't have tried to uh, 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 cheap out on this. And, and you know what's crazy too? It's like it's her last film. I mean, the character is dead, and this was a prequel. It's like you, you don't have Scarlett Johansson lined up for ten more Marvel uh, universe films. This, uh, there's a thousand ways they could have gotten in front of it, and they did not. Yeah, I mean, and and just to throw it out there, it's possible uh, because there there are some sources saying that that uh, Johansson's people were pushing very hard to not have it go to streaming. They really wanted a theatrical release, which is sure. one of the reasons I think it kept getting delayed. Uh, mm-hmm. It's possible that any kind of streaming situation wasn't going to make them happy, and Disney knew that and was like, "Fine, we'll see you in court." I still don't think your press statement releases her pay and accuses her of being callous <laughs> towards COVID. I just, I don't yeah. get that side of it. I, I, <laughs> I guess you're, you're trying to like say, well, here's the punishment for, for suing us. We told you we'd make you look bad, but it only makes Disney look bad as far as what I can yes. tell. I'm, for, I'm for sure. personally less bothered than the release of pay than I am the idea that uh, they're making a value judgment about how that's plenty or whatever. Like, like that's the part that sure, really upsets sure. me. You know, it, right. it's like numbers are numbers. Who cares? Uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a bar of gold is worth what a bar of gold is worth. Um, uh, but, but to act like that should be enough for you. That's the real crime in my book. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the pairing. If the movie the only made $20 million, you could say, okay, well, 20 million for jo- Scarlett Johansson might be excessive, but that's not what these movies make. And these participation deals are based on very specific projections that, you know, with COVID and uh, with theatrical releases being, uh, um, you know, uh, diluted, it's, they're never going to hit. So, um, it was, I, I think one of the lawyers probably should have called uh, HBO Max and say, hey, what are you guys doing about this? And then uh, maybe they would have figured some things out before uh, ridiculous uh, press statements were made. Can 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 I propose some wild speculation here? Um, the best uh, kind. <laughs> uh, would it be out of bounds to speculate that she doesn't love the idea, her, the person doesn't love the idea of suing Disney because uh, that's that's a risky look. There's a lot that can go sideways and so on. But I can imagine a lot of reasons a lot of people would pressure her. You've got everybody who's like, hey, man, somebody's got to stand up. Like, this is a clear violation of the contract. Somebody's got to stand up for the 90-day window and for theatrical releases. You could be that person. Somebody's got to stand up for strong female leads in in, in uh, these movies and yeah. so on. Somebody's got Somebody's to stand up. Somebody's got to stand up for 10% of 20 million is less than 10% of 50 million. It, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yes. Uh, and uh, uh, I would imagine that she's not enjoying any second of any of this. No. no. I certainly and wouldn't. 
And also the deals um, are, there's not like a one size fits all deal. Like it's entirely possible. Some actors get larger sums and fees up front with um, smaller participation. Some get smaller fees up front with larger participation because that um, goes into your calculation as well. Like if you have a larger fee up front, you're less worried about the participation when things go to streaming. It's like, well, I really didn't lose that much. So it's clear that a lot of her compensation was um, predicated on a theatrical release. And I'm sure her and her agents went to Disney and said, hey, can we negotiate this? And it looks like they hit a stone wall and then that's when things kind of ex uh, escalated. Now, the question is, will we see more actors, uh, directors even doing this? Uh, if so, or even just the threat of that, will that dissuade uh, companies from pushing the window and, and shortening the window? Uh, I, I I feel like the answer is we probably won't see that many more lawsuits, at least until this has played itself out. I think everybody right. will want to see how, how it goes in court. Uh, but it will make companies a little more cautious about just throwing it on onto streaming, I would guess. That's the other aspect of this is even if she doesn't win, whatever winning means, because almost certainly this will be settled out of mm -hmm. court or whatever, um, this was a bite to the hand of Disney. It was, it was it, like, here she is on her way out from the MCU with her last project, with the least amount, to the best positioned in a unique time that it's like, okay, the industry itself is either going to decide that day and date is fine going forward, or they're going to be reminded that actors really like theatrical releases. And here, I mean, there, there there's kind of... She, she or, was, or you have to structure the deals to be favorable to the actors if they go day and date, give them bigger cuts of the streaming. Correct, correct. And so, so part of me wonders if her real play isn't just to... Um, uh, uh, to take a bullet on behalf of the rest of, you know, her acting community. I don't know. Well, there was there, I'm sure there was definitely, um, some support and even probably like you were saying, Brian, some pressure probably from the agencies too, like saying like, look, cause that affects their bottom line as well. They, you know, they're, they're commissioning, uh, that money that suddenly disappeared. Um, but you know, all contracts also going forward, they're going to have to have all these considerations in effect with streaming and, you know, shortened windows and all of these things. So I think there was an opportunity, like we were saying, to retroactively fit these current contracts, like what the future contracts may look like. But yeah. I, I feel like they, they were literally just months behind on this, um, you know, the, this forward thinking. So I, I don't yeah. know. We'll see what I happens. mean, cause net Netflix, uh, buys movies that, are made with the idea that they could go into theaters all the time. And what they do uh, from what I hear is they buy out the back end. They, they, they agree on a number that they're like, this is about what you would have made on the back end. We'll just give you that. Cause there won't be any back right. end. It's just going on Netflix. Uh, right. That's likely what Warner did some version of that with HBO max uh, and Disney and Scarlett Johansson's people just couldn't agree on what that number would be, I guess. Yeah. It's and, possible. And the, yeah. Uh, last thing I'll say on this, and uh, 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 Tom, Chris, I know that you guys have swum in shark-filled waters as well. There have definitely been decisions that I made where uh, I, I, it wasn't about the money, but it was about like, if this is how you're going to play it, then I need this to be painful for you uh, so that uh -huh. you, you don't, you, so you understand 
this is what happens when you do this kind of thing. And this, yeah. th that's the general read I get. I have, you know, obviously that explains way on the Disney's outside. reaction of like, well, we'll make it painful for you too. Then. Uh, yeah. Uh, although guess, guess which one got, yeah. <laughs> guess yeah. which one is made of anti-venom. I'll give you a yeah, hint. That... She's a spider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That kind of backfired. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't think it really worked the way they, they wanted it to. Uh, well, folks, if you enjoy Cord Killers, we're glad. Uh, that's why we make it. We, we want everybody to, to get something out of it, enjoy it, have a good time, and learn something. Uh, and all we ask is that you support us directly on Patreon. Uh, we don't have ads on the show, so if you want to keep it going, we need you to keep it going. Patreon.com slash Cord Killers is the place to go to do that. Heck yeah, dude. Head on over to patreon.com slash cord killers. Keep us loud, live, and independent. What, a buck an episode? That's all we ask. Come on, man. Come on. Help us yeah, out. It's nothing. Please. Let's talk about how to watch. Comcast CEO Brian Roberts in the earnings call for Comcast, which of course owns NBC Universal, said Peacock has signed up 54 million accounts since launching in April 2020. Well, that's that's pretty good. Uh, just just around a year, 54 million, not bad. 20 million of those are active users. Uh, some people, you know, sign up for an account that they don't monthly uh, watch Peacock. 20 million, 20 million is not bad for, for your active users. I mean, only a fraction of those are paying though. Uh, so the, I mean, the, the ones that aren't paying get monetized as ads, but you don't make as much money off the ads as you do off the direct payments. Anyway, uh, Comcast wouldn't admit what that number is. Peacock will begin its international rollout this year as a free addition on Sky's satellite TV platform in Europe. And after the Sky debut, the company plans to roll it out globally via third-party distributors. Now, one of the things they did say is they wanted to launch Peacock on the back of the Olympics last year. They didn't get to do that. So they're hoping they see a nice, healthy bunt in Peacock active users and subscriptions on the back of the Olympics this year. But uh, Brian, what do you make of those numbers? So uh, part of me wants to kick this to, to Chris to ask the question, like when I first read this story, um, the first thing that popped in my mind is uh, 50 million. Is that a lot or little? Where does that compare? And I wanted to go check, you know, like it's a contest. And suddenly it hit me. It's like, no, it's not a contest. It's, it's like a... Uh, this is however many people they're reaching. It's a, an ancillary arm of the NBC corporation and so on. Um, I, if anything, it actually kind of got me in a headspace where I'm like, are, are we in a post deciding winners, you know, first, second, third place type thing? Because I mean, that's what we've done for 12 years, but, but all of a sudden I really, there are so many players and it's like, you have the audience you have. And, and look, look at us, like, like our numbers are, are, are quote unquote, nothing compared to NBC or whatever. Uh, but, but like, there's only one number we care about, which is our Patreon numbers. And likewise, same thing with Peacock is like, is it profitable? Great. We're done. Uh, cool story, bro. Uh, uh, Chris, am I doing myself a disservice by keeping my eye off the prize in terms of like, uh, uh, rankings or, or what? You know what? It's um, everyone's looking at those those rankings. What's interesting is, you know, Peacock and some of these other smaller streaming services have like a kind of like, oh, wait, no, don't forget about us mentality to them. Like instead of actually doing something innovative or interesting with original programming and bundling a lot of things, they're just trying to figure out the streaming space by literally throwing whatever they have in their library on it. And Peacock is a prime example of that. So I don't think Peacock and its it current its current form is going to um, remain the way it is. It's either going to partner with a larger 
uh, company is going to get absorbed somewhere else. There's going to be like all of a sudden a universal um, Peacock something slash like the way Paramount is doing and rolling in like uh, like first it was CBS. Now it's going to be Paramount. Everything's everything's going to get larger because they're not competing with networks anymore. They're competing with Netflix and they're competing with Disney Plus with these large libraries and original programming. So I feel like some of these places are playing catch up and I think Peacock is definitely one of them. And one of the things like when you were reading that, Tom, like every number got smaller as you were <laughs> As you were reading that list, it's like, here's how many there are. Oh, well, here's active and here's who we're paying and here's who we're keeping. So, you know, as the numbers go slower and uh, smaller and smaller, when you're competing with like a Netflix, you have to do something to bolster them. And and I think we're going to see bundles, um, you know, much like cable <laughs> did many years ago. So I think they'll uh, they'll combine with somebody else. I I, I think you both have a point. I, I, Brian, I think you're right that it's it's not about do I have more than Disney Plus because Disney Plus is doing a whole different approach to the market uh, than Peacock. What Peacock wants is do I have enough to make this pay for itself? Uh, but Chris, I think you're right that the path that Peacock is on is, is not the path that it's been on. Uh, it launched... Without the Olympics, it launched with The Office. That that's pretty much all I could talk about, uh, and and the Friends special and all of that. Now you're seeing during the Olympic coverage, they're pushing originals. Uh, none of them necessarily feel that compelling yet, but you know they're still early days. Uh, they they may find their hit eventually, uh, and and they're going to add live sports. That's going to start being compelling when you start to have actual live sports that you can get through Peacock. And people are getting a little bit of taste of that with the Olympics, although it's very scattered on how to find it. Uh, there's there's a lot of work to be done on Peacock to, to shape it up uh, and make it compete. But the fact that it's owned by Comcast and it has the universal connection and it's going to get the 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 tier one or, or the, the TV one window, whatever that's called, pay one, the pay one window uh, mm -hmm. on all the universal films like it looks like it will start coming together, but it is a little haphazard right now. I will say yeah, that uh, sure. Peacock, uh, from its launch, and every, I, I think it did everything right. I think it just it got hit the hardest by the pandemic because it leveraged so much, or it bet so much on the Olympics, and then the Olympics. Oh. And people don't know it's bumped. free. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. They really mm -hmm. need to hammer the fact that it's free because I, I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody, and they're like, yeah, but I don't want to pay for another service. I'm like... Right. You don't have to. You can get a lot of right. it for free. It's just like, ads. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other thing to add is that my wife works for Rotten Tomatoes, which is owned by NBC. And so my insurance is from <laughs> NBC. So, you know, <laughs> it's going to be great. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about what to watch in under surveillance. Marvel's next Disney Plus series is What If, coming August 10th, but the next live action series from Marvel on Disney Plus will be Hawkeye, which just got a premiere date of Wednesday, November 24th. Of course, Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye with Haley Steinfeld as his protege, Kate Bishop. Hawkeye feels like maybe the Avengers character that has uh, uh, the most leeway to take really big risks and do something crazy with uh, because he's so on the periphery in every single... MCU movie. Uh, 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 I hope they do crazy risks, but I don't suspect they will. Yeah, I, you know, that's, there's a, a, an interesting um, uh, kind of like backstory with the way Hawkeye was kind of like reinvented in the comics and uh, uh, with Kate Bishop being introduced. I don't know how much they're going to lean into that for the uh, TV show, but 
just kind of the perspective of a guy with a bow and arrow who's surrounded by guys with superpowers. It's always like a really interesting uh, perspective of like, cause he's, he's the guy that he doesn't have superpowers. So he has to, uh, uh, be really, really good with his with his bow and arrow, and he acknowledges that. And uh, with his protege, um, uh, Kate, I think it's Kate Bishop. I'm pretty when, sure. When, but, when uh, I was in seventh grade, I mm-hmm. used to play. Uh, there was a, a, a RPG system called Marvel Superheroes. Uh, imagine Dungeons and Dragons, but in the MCU. And uh, when when I looked at the character sheet for a Hawkeye, they listed among his skills and talents was the fact that he was partially deaf which is where he got his awesome <laughs> eyesight from. <laughs> and so, like, you're right. I mean, he's just a guy who's good with a bow and arrow. Yeah. 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 And, uh, like, the if they concentrate on more like a like the, uh, street-level type stories of, like, you know, crime in the neighborhood. Closer I, I think to Daredevil. Really yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it could be really uh, interesting. Um, you know, the way Falcon and Winter Soldier was so huge and epic, the way, you know, the fights went all over the world. If this is smaller and more contained, I think it could be really um, interesting and fun. Yeah. And uh, Disney doesn't have to worry about Jeremy Renner suing them over the back end because it's a TV show from the <laughs> no. beginning. No, yeah, there's no theatrical bonus on the uh, yeah. On the, the streaming show. So it's a win for everybody. Uh, TV series follow-up to 1995's Waterworld is apparently in development at Universal Content Productions. Deadline says that friend of the show Dan Trachtenberg is attached to direct. The series would pick up 20 years after the events of the movie. It hasn't been sold to a platform, but Peacock seems to be the obvious choice since it's in the same building. Waterworld is best known as being the most expensive film ever made at the time of its release and a disappointment at the box office. It's less well known as premiering the same week I visited LA for the first time. And it's the same (laughs) week a sinkhole opened in the construction of the Red Line subway. Uh, Also, Waterworld, one of the better stunt shows at uh, Universal. That's exactly what I was about to say is is that Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that what we remember is the box office failure or or disappointment uh, of it. But meanwhile, it's like uh, I have friends who use uh, uh, various tracks from the soundtrack in their stage shows because the the music is exceptional to it. Uh, The stunt show is awesome. Like there's something to the world. And oh man, I, look, I I I I I know you shouldn't b- believe everything you read, but you have no idea how much I would love to see a Dan Trachtenberg directed series. That'd be amazing. That would be cool <laughs> if this if this ends up panning out. That would be that would be crazy cool. And it's 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 one of those uh, post apocalyptic open worlds where you could literally do anything. You I mean, know, except except for a- walk on dry land. Yes, except for walk on dry land. Except, well, it's the only no, thing, spoiler. which which normally you'd think would be an unremarkable aspect to a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, spoiler at the, you know at the end. <laughs> fair the enough. End fair movie. enough. Oh, that's right. It's twenty yeah, years yeah. later. Actually, oh, oh my God, you're right. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you could have a crossover dries. with the Postman with Kevin Costner. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Is are, are they going to get a Costner? Uh, are going to get a Costner appearance somehow yeah. if they do? If they end up doing this, uh, Amazon announced that its uh, Lord of the Rings prequel series will arrive on Amazon Prime Friday, September second, twenty twenty two. A little more than a year from now, filming wrapped this week. So. The next 13 months will be for post-production, if that tells you anything. Still no title, but Amazon did release a still photo of someone in white looking off towards a city with two white trees. Now, a lot of people are saying, I bet that's the gold tree Laurelin and the silver tree Telperion, a.k.a. the trees of light, which would be odd 
because those are from Tolkien's first age, and the story is supposed to take place in the second age. Uh, Chris, you're probably better qualified to chime in on this than than I am. Uh, we, we, I personally have been uh, cautious in my uh, excitement for this because essentially, you know, Amazon spent 150 million dollars to buy basically a world story Bible and no actual story. And I don't know how how afraid that this is just going to be filled with. Uh, I. Let me put it this way. We have seen other fantasy worlds where television people told a story uh, and not novelists. Um, well, I, um, I've i kind of fanboyed up on this and uh, I can't wait and I don't care what they're doing. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And uh, uh, when I heard how much they spent just on the rights, I'm like, OK, well, you know, that can't be the entire budget. So if they're going to spend that much on the rights, they're going to spend a ton more on the show. So I am, uh, you know, I'm going to give the show a lot of leeway even if it's mediocre i'm probably going to be there for as many as they shoot so uh, Here, uh but my, there is that like cautious like you like you were saying it's like you know you spend all this money and it's you know it's an age in tolkien that not there aren't any of your recognizable characters are going to be in unless there's we're going to have gandalf time travel or, or whatever but uh, uh i think with the game of thrones how the with the world building i think there's enormous potential so i hope it uh works out yeah, my my biggest concern on this whole project, uh, especially now, especially because I've seen this still, is that they only have the rights to the appendix to the Lord of the Rings, and they're going to try to tell a first and second age story, maybe based on that, and they don't have the rights to use the Silmarillion. Uh, if none of these words mean anything to you, just think of it as lore nerds are scared because they can't use the whole universe, and that could cause problems if they want to reference things that they don't have the rights to reference witness Hannibal and Clarice that can't like refer to each other because they don't have the rights to the whole Hannibal verse. Well, and here's the thing like, uh, and this is something you could put onto Amazon. If you're paying that much for rights for anything, you can't really expect stuff to be left out. I mean, like, look, we're giving you hundreds of millions of dollars. I want the Silmarillion. I mean, you, you well, the Tolkien I, estate won't sell it to them, though. That yeah. apparently, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, and, so and, and uh, we, 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 we kind of have a natural experiment with Netflix and Miller World right now. You know, we only saw the, the um, I forget the name of it. Uh, uh, but, but, but already, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, they're already Legacy. kind of pulling back, taking their time on the rest of the Miller world stuff. So, I mean, yeah, they, they could leave some meat on the table there. Well, that's, yeah. that's actually a different, um, that was a really interesting deal. Netflix did with, uh, with, uh, Miller world is they not only bought the characters and the rights, they bought his entire company. So whatever he makes, including, I think, even like the publishing, like like crazy, like like we just want everything. So I think, um, you know, you really need like an all in with like a Lord of the Rings. Like it's not like, you know, with Game of Thrones. Well, we want the rights to everything but these two books. Like it's it's not going to work, you know, it, and yeah. it's so I, I think, though, um, the, the world is big enough and you're doing an age where it's kind of a blank slate. We'll see what happens. They might just start creating their own um uh, mythology inside that that age so I, we'll, we'll see oh that's uh, that's uncomfortable maybe amazon will just buy the <laughs> tolkien estate 
Well, just yeah, it would probably be cheaper, you know, to buy the estate at this point. Just, just buy the family. <laughs> yeah. uh, Netflix is pushing star-studded movies more and more. Uh, just acquired the worldwide rights to another one, action thriller Fast and Loose, which stars Will Smith, will be directed by David Leach. If, if you don't know him, Hobbs and Shaw, Deadpool 2, John Wick, you know, a couple of good ones. Smith will play a man who wakes up in Tijuana with no memories only to discover he's been leading a double life as a crime kingpin and undercover CIA agent, not a rom-com. As well, yeah, it's uh, the need another uh, mediocre streaming action film. So this sounds like it fits the bill. I mean, look, on a long enough timeline, Will Smith has to have another hit, right? Yeah. Like, like, like it's, just, it's just nothing but 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 uh, uh, Netflix pitching softballs to Will Smith Ooh, over and over and but, over again. But on a long enough timeline, David has to direct a flop. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, a few other notes here. Netflix released the first still of Imelda Staunton as Queen Elizabeth in The Crown. Staunton, of course, taken over from Olivia Coleman in season five to portray the latter years of the queen. The resemblance to Dolores Umbridge is definitely there. Netflix released mm -hmm. a trailer for the final season of La Casa de Papel, a.k.a. Money Heist. That'll return September 3rd. And Doctor Who will release its 13th season since the return, in the 21st century anyway, this autumn, and follow with three feature-length specials in 2022, after which showrunner Chris Chibnall and actor Jodie Whittaker will depart the series. So begins the slow drumbeat of speculation as to who will take over as the next Doctor Who. Am, am I right in my number counting that that technically, uh, per the lore of Doctor Who, there uh, you have 13 lives and after yeah, Jodie Foster... Yeah, they retconned that. Oh, oh they, how, did, how did they fix that? During the Capaldi uh, thing, they found out that, that as a matter of fact, that was a voluntary limit. And now that there is no more Gallifrey, there's no one to enforce it. So, And in fact, there's been some, in the Whitaker years, some uh, implication that maybe the Doctor had re uh, regenerated many times before the first doctor fled from Gallifrey. So there's all kinds of lore going on. There. I would Couldn't love to believe it's like, a, yeah. oh, doctor, you misread the Nielsen dialogues, which <laughs> clearly state you can have as many iterations as you want. Yeah. So Torchwood's no longer enforcing that limit anymore. Is that? Yeah. There's a, there's a little hand waviness uh, going yeah. on there. I'm, I'm sure a, a doctor who fan can explain it properly to us. So please court killers at gmail.com uh, if you can, but uh, yeah, they, they sort of soft lifted the limit. So mm. uh, who, who's going to be the next doctor who? Idris Elba? Uh, uh, oh, Idris Elba would work because uh, uh, you remember he actually, uh, he said that that he I don't I don't know that he was technically offered, but he preemptively said, I wouldn't want to play James Bond. I'm too old for that character. He's not too old to play the doctor and he yeah, would be great. Of years old. He, also, he already played the doctor in a little Hollywood vehicle called the Dark Tower. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> is he too big to be a Doctor Who? Like, is he too big of a star? Like, too big of it? Like, could they not afford his rate? Like, he couldn't uh, fit the I mean, artist? Is that what you're saying? That level <laughs> where he's he could do whatever too. he finds <laughs> interesting. <laughs> You know, because it is bigger on the inside than on the outside. He could True. Fit. Yeah, so, so he yeah. shouldn't have any problem. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's <laughs> talk about what his ego. <laughs> let's talk about what we've had our eyes on, stuff we've been watching. Starting with you, Chris. Uh, what, did, what did you see lately? Um, I actually saw uh, Blood Red Skies, uh, which was on Netflix. This is the crazy German slash um, English um, horror heist um, 
terrorist plane movie where uh, <laughs> there are uh, terrorists, um, uh, hijackers on a plane, but they accidentally uh, hijack the wrong plane because it has a vampire on it. So Oops. then it's, <laughs> yeah, then it's vampire versus a uh, hijacker and um, it escalates or de-escalates <laughs> from there. And I got to say, you know, for a, you're at home for a pulpy, bloody, like, uh, you know, an IFC midnight type of feel for it. It's, it is what it is. I'll put it this way. It's as advertised. It's a vampire fighting uh, uh, on a plane to, uh, you know, stop a hijacking. Now, occasionally the movie tries to get like a little more like art house horror, like, you know, Train to Basan, where you had that relationship mm. with uh, the father and the daughter it never really gets there. So it just kind of like leans into the gore and the, uh, the horror of it. And it, but it, it works. It's, um, it, it is what it is. And it's a, um, it's a fun time at the streaming movies, uh, night. Excellent. Excellent. Blood red skies. You've, you've almost convinced me to watch it now. It sounds yeah. like fun. Yeah. <laughs> not, not me. I'm already forced to watch season three of Hannibal's. It's fine. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know what I did watch Tom is, uh, me and my 13 year old daughter, uh, I'm taking her on a tour of things that I like. And, uh, I showed her memento, uh, Christopher Nolan's one of his early films. Um, uh, uh, man, I, I had heard, that people didn't care for Memento and I couldn't understand why they wouldn't. But it turns out like around your 20th or 21st time watching it, uh, when you know the plot backwards and forwards and the storytelling vehicle is not so novel anymore, turns out, uh, yeah, there's not a lot there outside of, outside <laughs> of the clever way they told the story. Well, I, I have to say uh, I had a, a really nice experience with that film. Uh, before it got released, I, I had a, a short film playing in the Slamdance Film Festival, and Memento was one of like the big uh, feature films that no one had seen yet. No one had heard of Christopher Nolan. And, uh, you know, to watch it in a big uh, packed theater with a bunch of film festival fans, it was really cool. And, and uh, then, like, you always feel like you're in the know. Then when the movie blows up, like, I saw that at the festival. It, and it, and it truly was That's for cool. anybody yeah. who wasn't mm -hmm. there. And, and now now we're mm -hmm. old people talking about Woodstock. It's like you had to right. be there. <laughs> yeah. But it's like it truly was. I, I remember seeing it in the movie theater and being just mm -hmm. blown away. Yep. And mm -hmm. nowadays we have a... Um, a, a bit more sophisticated, experienced audience out there. And uh, yes, uh, there's there's not as much there as I had hoped for my daughter. That, <laughs> you have to watch you know, it backwards. So, that's, a, yeah. that's the key. <laughs> yeah, I hate to say it's a product of its time because it's not that old, but it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, 20 years, 20 years, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was definitely living in a world without Wi Fi when I watched Memento. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, well, uh, I've been just watching a lot of the Olympics, uh, splitting my time mm -hmm. between the NBC sports app and AT&T TV, AT&T TV, just to watch like the mainline coverage. If I want it sort of curated by Mike Tirico, who I think does an excellent job as the host uh, of Olympics coverage for NBC. And then the NBC sports app, which again, they, they need better organization and interface. But once I figured out its quirks, it has everything. And so I can just be like, you know what? I want to see what's going on in table tennis. I want to, I want to watch some sailing. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to see what the kayakers are up to and the BMX bikes. Uh, and you could curate it yourself. So I, I've been kind of flipping back when I'm like, I don't want to have to think about it. Let me just put it on a broadcast or a cable channel and show me stuff versus like, you know what? I actually want to see the archery. Let me, let me dive into the NBC sports app and get that. And it's been fun. 
Nice. Well, Bryce, what should we be on the lookout for? Hey, we got a recommendation from, uh, let's see here, Alex. Alex here writes, my recommendation for On the Lookout is Schmigadoon. <laughs> Schmigadoon. This is a show on Apple TV Plus and is a send-up of 1940s musicals. It's executive produced by Lauren Michaels, and all the episodes are directed by Barry Sonnenfe- Sonnenfeld, who you might know from Men in Black or the Addams Family movies. Uh, a couple, Melissa and Josh, go on a backpacking trip in an attempt to patch up their failing marriage, uh, only to find themselves still arguing. And so they discover a magical town called Schmigadoon, which is trapped in a Golden Age-style musical, and they slowly realize they cannot leave until they find true love. I watched. Uh, I only got a chance to watch a little bit of this, but I thought this was was cute and really well made. I think if you like musicals, uh, like uh, uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend or uh, even the uh, what is it Zoe's Incredible Playlist of whatever, right? Um, I, I think you might like this. And and uh, it I, for whatever reason, knowing that it was directed by the guy who did Men in Black just made me see the whole show through that lens that kind of like i don't know old uh not old timey but just kind of when move big movies you know i think of that name like, and i think like, of like big movies don't worry about it just go with it yeah it's gonna be fun yeah uh it, it, it was fun. Actually- cecily strong and keegan michael key who i i love mm-hmm. both of them mm-hmm. uh, i watched the first episode of this too it is it's a piece of of delicious cake uh you yes, know it's 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 super sure. light uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny. Uh, and, and if you're not into like the musical world, you're probably not going to think it's that funny, but it, it's, it's, it's light and airy and, and it's fun. the comedy equivalent of blood red skies. It is <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yes. It was like, mm-hmm. Oh, instead of vampires and, yeah. and bloody gore, I, I would yeah. just like a musical. Yeah. It's right. It, and it, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, you know, it's light, like you said, and it's just, um, it puts a smile on your face. Yeah. Uh, so thank you to Alex for that. Schmigadoon is streaming now on Apple TV Plus, which you can find on all sorts of devices, not just Apple products. Uh, four of their six episodes in, I don't know if this is a seasonal thing or a miniseries, but four of the six episodes are out right now as we record this. If you've got something we should be on the lookout for, email it to us, please. Cordkillers at gmail.com. Thank you. Well, folks, uh, the way we do the show is on a computer. I, I don't know if a lot of you realize that, but that's that's how we get it to you. Uh, and 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 Brian, how do I mean, we get those computers? Well, the way we do it now is on computers. It used to be you and I would meet together in a park and just perform it uh, like a musical, like Schmigadoon style, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But now we get to edit them and publish them and 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 run an entire business on them thanks to our friends over at Doghouse Systems. If you head on over to DoghouseSystems.com/slash/rogue, R-O-G-U-E, you could support them and thank them for supporting us. Oh, and real quickly, uh, I have a new audio book out called Project Vera. Uh, It's about a young analyst named Vera who gets swept up into an ancient society that thinks they run the world and they want to kill her brother. Uh, If you want to get the secret confidential files that you are absolutely not supposed to be aware of, uh, go to tomsnewbook.com and you can get Project Vera. It's a great cast. Serving Worlds produced this for me, uh, and I, I really love what they did with it. So go check it out. You can, you can get a free retail sample if you just want to listen to the very beginning of it. That's tomsnewbook.com. Let's move on to the front lines. Front lines. Oh, it's over. AT&T has completed the spinoff of DirecTV. 
DirecTV that was bought by AT&T for a lot of money has now been spun off for less money. Uh, AT&T will own 70% of it still, but doesn't have to count any of its debts on the AT&T balance sheet because it's a different company. Uh, 30% is going to be owned by a private equity firm called TPG, and the new company will be called simply DirecTV. Later this month, AT&T TV streaming offerings will become DirecTV Stream. They're not going back to DirecTV now for whatever reason. And as of June 30th, DirecTV, AT&T TV, and AT&T UVerse had 15.4 million customers combined. So that's what this new DirecTV will have to work with. And customers are assured they won't have to do anything to continue their service. It will keep going. It'll just change its name. I have absolutely nothing to say about this, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like some weird communication Ponzi scheme to me. I don't know. <laughs> Basically, it's AT&T saying, good luck. Maybe you'll make yeah. it work. But if it fails, yeah. we don't want the debt on our balance sheet. So. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. They, they so, say, uh, maybe put more T's in all the names. Uh, we tried adding <laughs> AT&T to DirecTV and... There wasn't enough tea. Three years ago, Dish and Warner got into a spat over HBO, and HBO hasn't been available on either Dish or Sling TV since. Well, they finally worked it out, partly. Dish TV customers will be able to get HBO and Cinemax now, but they'll have to sign up for HBO Max to get HBO. However, the deal does not cover Sling TV yet. Um, uh, this is uh, somewhat unsurprising in that, like, basically, new territory was unlocked, and HBO said, here's what it's going to cost for us to come to your party, right? Yeah. And in 2018, this was a bigger story than it is in 2021. <laughs> yeah. I remember when we first covered this, like, ooh, Dish and HBO fighting it out. Now it's like, oh, Dish got HBO back. Mm, too little, too late? Yep. I, because yeah. they didn't get it back for Sling. I, that's, no. that's the part that's, mm -hmm. that, that puzzles me. I don't know. Maybe Dish will buy DirecTV and they can... Go down together. Hey, maybe we CBS can. Seems there, there's a T in your name, Tom. Yeah, maybe I'll buy them once I get cheap yeah. enough. Uh, CBS <laughs> seems pleased with Alex Kurtzman's stewardship of the Star Trek franchise. Uh, CBS Studios signed a deal with Kurtzman to continue to run Star Trek for the next six years. Kurtzman oversees all of the Star Trek shows on Paramount Plus and elsewhere, uh, as well as The Man Who Fell to Earth, a remake they're doing for Showtime, uh, and a Stephen King short story adaptation. So uh, if you like what Kurtzman's been doing, you'll be happy to know he's still going to stay in charge. Chris, uh, do you like what Kurtzman's been doing? Um, well, I don't have um, CBS All Access or Paramount or whatever they're they're calling it now, so that might answer your question. Uh, <laughs> I will get it back when Picard returns. Uh, so um, that's no. <laughs> I, you like Picard? That's my, that's that's my how, short that's answer. That's is, uh, yeah, okay, I, gotcha. I felt like uh, again we talk about missed opportunities. I uh, um, I think there's there was so much. Um, going on in the Star Trek universe that could have been rebooted or redone. And I, I felt like as I was watching, like I think the first um, season of Discovery was so far away from what Star Trek wanted to be. They slowly tried to uh, um, pull back like as for season two. But I was like, you know, this still isn't the Star Trek that I know and love. Granted, I, you know, I grew up on the other shows, but I am enjoying Picard and I am excited about um, the one with Spock and uh, um, Pike. So I think maybe that might get closer to what I enjoy as Star Trek. But I feel like adding things like graphic gore and like torture porn. And I'm like, no, that's not the Star what Trek. What about the Kung I, Fu? Uh, I remember. Classic, yeah. right? 
<laughs> well, and I actually, I think this argues in favor of Kurtzman because Brian Fuller was in charge of that first season of Discovery and mm-hmm. Kurtzman took about two years to extricate Discovery from that. And Kurtzman's the one who brought you Picard yeah. uh, and Lower Decks and, and all of those. Mm-hmm. So so maybe the, maybe this it, well, maybe this to is be fair, to you know, there was a new showrunner every two weeks over there. So I don't know. Oh, yeah. For on that first year of Discovery. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. It was, it was ridiculous. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to see it find its footing. I don't need to watch every single Star Trek show they make. I, I, they're making so many. I may be able to just kind of pick and choose. Like, I like this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to not watch this one. So, uh, well, I'll tell you what, Chris, if you're ready for some football, but you do have Hulu live TV, you don't have to despair. The NFL network is coming to Hulu live TV for the 2021 season. Uh, as part of the base $65 a month plan, Hulu is going to offer a sports add on plan for $10 a month that, uh, will include NFL red zone along with a few other sporting channels. Um, uh, side note of uh, uh, the guy who wrote this song, Are You Ready for Some Football, is Hank Williams Jr., who will be playing across the street from my house this month. Well, will you be able to hear it without, with, you know, yes. stepping yes. out on your front yes. porch? Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice. we're, we're one of those neighborhoods where it's like everybody built a neighborhood around a music venue, and then we're all shocked. Shocked, I say, that loud music <laughs> is being played on Friday nights. Too many rowdy friends. Why don't you settle down? This, this uh, anyway. seems like a big get for Hulu uh, to yeah, it's, offer it's, it for free. It's an free? essential get, right? Yeah, you need to have it's, NFL. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons that I switched from Hulu Live to AT&T TV was, well, it was entirely sports. Uh, but I would have switched to YouTube TV if it hadn't been AT&T because Hulu didn't have both the NHL and the MLB networks. Now, I don't care as much about the NFL network, but there are those who do. And this will be something where they can now consider Hulu where they wouldn't have before. So yeah, it's a, it's a huge gift for them. The Google TV app on Android in the US, which was formerly called Play Movie and TV. Uh, it, it's still called Play Movies and TV outside of the US. But anyway, it's called Google TV in the US now, has gotten a new redesign and added programming from Discovery Plus and Viki. In other words, uh, you can access the shows from those services in a single watch list and in the recommendations alongside other integrated services. The new design features widescreen thumbnails with Rotten Tomatoes scores below uh, and and just looks a little nicer. And the second generation Fire TV Cube now supports two-way Zoom calls with a connected webcam. Users will need a micro USB to USB adapter to add a camera and calls can be joined through a Fire TV voice assistant. This feels like a very uniquely this moment story like like if you told this might have been five years ago the most surprising story that 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 would have come across but and yeah. in the world of the pandemic it's utterly pedestrian <laughs> it's insane because well, because zoom's trying to get on all the smart displays which makes sense right so getting on the fire tv cube is an interesting move right to be like oh even if you don't have a camera built in uh let's let's make it easy and and amazon likes it because amazon's not competing with zoom in any material way so they can actually say like yeah another reason to buy the fire tv cube because you can talk to folks on zoom with and it. and i think the part that impresses me the most is that it's such a practical move in a world where quite literally we're changing school districts for my youngest in or because one school district is not offering remote learning and the other mm. one does uh, uh then it's like oh that'll be very convenient i could just plug in this thing and she yeah. can go to school let's get to the dispatches from the front Chris 
Chris from Atlanta says, hey, fellas, I wanted to get this in before the Olympics were over. I've been watching plenty of coverage and it's all pretty good. But actually, my favorite coverage that I've been watching is a show called Tokyo Gold, hosted by Rich Eisen, who should be familiar to many people. And I believe it's only available on Peacock. While you do not get the full tape of any event, what you do get is Rich reviewing the winning moments from a multitude of competitions, along with some interview moments, reaction shots from family and friends around the world, and of course, good graphics, in my opinion. I'm a little biased because I'm already a fan of Rich Eisen's banter style, but I would encourage everyone to give this one a shot if you have access to Peacock. If you manage to catch a moment of Rich's ridiculously high energy for archery, then you'll know it's been worth it. <laughs> we also got a message that says, hi, Tom, Brian, and Bryce. My husband is a rabid Reds, Red Sox fan. We live in upstate New York. There's quite a lot of Red Sox fans living here, but the powers that be consider us to be in Yankees country. That means that the stores sell Yankees merch sometimes in Yankee games are blocked out even on the MLB app. We were forced earlier this, this week to upgrade our cable to a plan that included the Yes Network so that we could see the Yankees Red Sox games, even though we were paying $25 a month for for the MLB app, my husband says if we lived in Massachusetts, the games would be on local TV if they were out if they were blocked out on MLB. I think this is uh, black. I think this blacking out is evil and should be outlawed. Thank you for a great show. Belissa. Thank you. Belissa is not alone. Uh, obviously, you need to move to Massachusetts. I think that's the uh, you know, that's. Or that's Texas. what Major League Baseball is telling you. So just move to Massachusetts, bill Texas. them for the move. And uh, yeah. Because in one, in some ways, the blackout rules work in your favor if they consider you in Yankee country. That means you're not blacked out on MLB. But then, yeah, it means when they play the Yankees, now you are blacked out because you're in Yankees country. I, I really can't wait for these blackout rules to go away. Right now, in, in baseball anyway, the only reason they have them is that the local coverage doesn't want people not to subscribe to cable and where they get their, their fee uh, because they can get it on the MLB app. Uh, but eventually that fee's not going to be worth it. And then it'll be more worth it to actually get a, a little bit of money from MLB for the MLB app. But I, I, I don't know how many years it's going to be before that all shakes out. Right. Well, uh, thank you, Chris Mancini for being with us. Uh, you've got some cool stuff going on. Let, let folks know what you got in the, in store over there. Absolutely. I'm in the middle of a, actually just launched a, another Kickstarter for rise of the Kung Fu dragon master graphic novel. That is uh, volume two. And uh, you can check that out on uh, Kickstarter. You can just go to my website, uh, whitecatentertainment.com and, uh, and click through over to there. It's a love letter to the 80s action and comedy and buddy movies that I actually grew up with. So it's kind of like a Big Trouble in Little China, Goonies, Jackie Chan, all those things kind of combined in my head. And then this is what came out. So it's about a Rick, a small time crook in Los Angeles who accidentally gets the power of the dragon and gets thrust into a mystical battle between good and evil, been fought, fought through the days of ancient China, and he is ill-equipped to deal with any of it. So and that's uh, <laughs> that'll go until September 5th, and uh, their goal is about 8,000, but we're off to a really good start. We're about a, a quarter funded uh, just in one day. So it, Holy it's, cow. It's going, yeah, it's going well. That's great. That's great. And I know a bunch of folks in the audience uh, backed Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master the yes. first time around. So there's mm -hmm. there's no reason you you shouldn't get in on the action the second time around. And if you're unfamiliar, go pick it up, blaze through it. You'll you'll want to get volume two. I guarantee. You. Absolutely. And if you go to the Kickstarter campaign, if you want to get them both at once or you want to get one as an add on, you could get it there, too. Or you could get it in the whitecatentertainment.com store. So 
Um, but yeah, that, and the, the other thing I've got going is I started a new podcast cause everything was going crazy last year. Um, I tried to create a hybrid, a comedy science adventure relaxation podcast. So it's called <laughs> the quiet journeys of professor Atwood and it's me going on different journeys and it has music and sound design to actually, uh, make things, um, turn the temperature down a little bit. So it's something you could kind of sit, relax, chill. Um, listen to the music, the sound effects, and my narration as I travel all over the uh, the world and beyond. And um, it's something that's really kind of fun and uh, I've really been enjoying doing, but also I hope it helps people as well. That's awesome. Good stuff, folks. Don't forget, our website is cordkillers.com. Our email address is cordkillers at gmail.com. We're live on twitch.tv slash nightattack, which is also carried on diamondclub.tv Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Talk to you again next time. Hey, Tom Merritt, what's going yes. on? Uh, I'm just hanging out here watching this scroll go by. Uh, what are you doing? Trying to set up a bit where we thank our beautiful, beautiful patrons, all these wonderful names. I'm sorry, names. I'm too distracted looking at these beautiful, beautiful patron names going by. Look at that one. I mean, if you wanted to be one of these people, patreon.com slash cordkillers would be the place to go. I mean, they're, yeah. scra they're, they're scratching our itch, like, because we're I think addicted. as long as it's consensual, like, we're, we're addicted to their money and love might as well face it well <laughs> god damn it <laughs> diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this broker <laughs>